0: this parable of the prodigal son begins with the younger son asking for his inheritance. It's easy for us to think this kind of a thing of greed, kind of an I want it now, that instant gratification mentality that seems to be so prevalent. But it's more than that. Because when do you get an inheritance? It's when someone dies. This wasn't just asking for money. This was saying, I don't care if you are alive. I don't care about our relationship. I don't care anything that we have built up. I don't care about the family. I don't care about seeing you every day or on the weekends or whenever. I just want the money. I want you out. I want to go my own way and be apart from you. Because after he got the inheritance, he left the land, didn't he? Not He didn't just leave his father, but he left his brother. Potentially a mother, the parable doesn't say. All of the friends that he would have had. Everything. The greed. The money was more important than anything he had built, any essence of relationship or community or friendship or love or family. It wasn't just greed. It was the dissolution of what makes us human, of what brings us together. Now we know that the sun then goes out and he wastes all this money that he so desperately wanted, and he hits absolute rock bottom. He was so hungry he wanted to eat what the pigs had, Now, if you don't know much about pigs, first thing you should know is they will eat anything. So we don't even know what they were being fed, but I guarantee you it was not top of the line. It wasn't organic. It wasn't from a nice cafe. It was bad stuff, probably. And he couldn't even have that. The pig, the vile creature that swallows in the mud. So this is absolute rock bottom for this younger son. And his motivation for returning was probably survival at that point. Because the, the, uh, the conversation that he has with himself is, well, why should I go back? Because even the servants of my father have bread and enough to spare. He just wanted some of that bread. So I'm not going to tell you that the younger son's priorities were, oh, I, I want the family back. I think it was survival in this parable. And that's what it clearly shows like. So the son comes back and he asks for forgiveness, saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Yet the father stops him right there. Because the son had rehearsed earlier in the parable to also say, hire, hire me back to work for you. He, he knew that this relationship between son and father was gone. He destroyed it. Let me just work for you and get enough to eat. Spare me that. But the father doesn't even let him get that far. He's welcomed back instantly. There's no thought. There's no give me a second to process. It's just complete and absolute joy. So the father dresses him with the robe and the ring and the sandals, and he throws a feast, a celebration. he says the famous line, For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now it doesn't really matter for us, at least not in this, for why the son decided to return. All that matters is that he did want to return. Something brought him back home. While there was the hunger or something else, something brought him back home. And that was all the father wanted. He welcomed him back for whatever motivation the son had with open arms. Welcome back home, let's celebrate. There was no why, there's no how could you. It was just the pure love. Because the father so desperately wanted to renew the relationship that the son had willfully destroyed. Had chosen to dissolve. Now, a lot of attention for this parable is given to the younger son and sometimes to the father. But what about the brother? Now, I wanted to reread this portion for you of the parable and pay close attention. This is right after the younger brother returns. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. You see, the younger son returned and was welcomed back by the father, and the celebration started, and no one even told the older brother. While the partying and the eating and the dancing and the laughing and the music was going on, he was still working in the field. He had to ask one of his father's servants to even figure out what was going on. He wasn't even invited to the celebration. I'd be angrier than he was in the parable, probably, because you know that's not fair. That's not right. Kind of what we talked about in the children's message, the time with young disciples, because that's that's not equality. That's not justice. The younger son did so many things right, and the older son did everything right. And he didn't even get invited. He was left out to work while the party was going on. I want to share a story with you for my past, about a Christmas morning many, many moons ago. It wasn't that long ago. I just like that phrase. But it was a while ago. I I, I was three or four, so I was young. And I woke up on Christmas morning full of excitement. And I ran to the living room, which is where we had our Christmas tree. And I stopped on the way there to knock on my parents' door. You know, Mom, Dad, it's Christmas morning. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. There are presents to open. So they're waking up and walking there. And I run ahead. And I start sorting all the presents. Because for my family's tradition, is before anyone could open anything... Um, Usually, the children, because they were the most excited, would sort the presents a pile for each person. There'd be one pile for me, a pile for my mom, a pile for my dad, a pile for my brother Chris. And then we'd all sit around the room by our piles and take turns opening while we all watch each other open. So I start separating the presents. I pick one up. Oh, that's for Chris. I'll put it over here. Oh, here's one for mom. I'll put it here. Oh, here's one for dad. Here's one for Chris. Here's one for Chris. Here's one for Dad. Oh, and that's just one for Mom. I didn't have a single present. I started to cry. I mean, can you imagine the worst Christmas morning? Waking up! Not only do I not have anything, but everyone around me had had stuff, and my brother had a lot. So my parents come out, and they see me just crying, and they have no idea what's going on. We see, in my living room we had the staircase that went to the upstairs where my brother's room was, and he was standing on the stairs looking down, having a fun time. It turned out that my brother woke up a couple hours earlier and hid all of my presents. <laughs> you know, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not equality. That's not justice. I wanted to go hide his presence that instant. But it was too late. So I guess my form of justice is telling you all this story now and having it go on the Internet. But there's something in us that kind of wants justice when we see something bad happen or when something bad happens to us. I don't think it was wrong for the older brother to say, hey, this isn't fair. That's the instinct we have, isn't it? We saw in Psalm 32, many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Many are the torments of the wicked. Some parts of us want the people that have done wrong to suffer. For people that have made mistakes to have to pay for that, to be punished, to pay for their crimes. And our society is is consumed with it. We don't want just justice, but we want vengeance. Look at the resurgent movie career of Liam Neeson. That's what all of his movies are about. Sylvester Stallone. You can even include Steven Seagal if you call those movies. <laughs> They're all the same, aren't they? It's about vengeance. It's about punishing the bad guy. You know, we want that eye for an eye. Sometimes we feel like we need that eye for an eye. That something has to happen. Something has to be done. Not just for them, but to make us feel better. The brother in this parable wanted that justice. He didn't even necessarily ask for anything bad to happen to the younger brother. He just wanted some equality for himself. He wanted the party. He wanted the nice robe and the sandals and the ring. But he didn't get it. And when he spoke to his father after explaining the feelings of never having received such a celebration of any kind, even a smaller one for himself and his friends, he says, but when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Notice the language choice. It wasn't when my brother came back, because for him that relationship was destroyed. But when this son of yours... Now the son relationship was just recently renewed, but when this son of yours, there's clearly a distance there that the brother still feels. Now we know at the end of this parable, the father does not respond with punishment to either brother, but rather the father responds with steadfast love, the desire for relationship and community to be restored. The father says to the elder son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother... No, he's saying brother of yours here, not my son. It's reestablishing the relationship between the two brothers. But this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The wonderful thing about this parable is it doesn't matter which sibling you side with. It doesn't matter which one that you feel you are closer to. It doesn't matter whether you have made mistakes or you spent your time toiling in the fields. The steadfast love of our parent God is always there for you. If you have broken relationships and built walls instead of bridges, God's steadfast love surrounds you. If you have served the hungry or the homeless, God has not forgotten you. God's steadfast love surrounds you. If you suffer from addiction or depression, you're not alone. God's steadfast love surrounds you. If you sing in the choir, showing up early Sunday morning and I think Thursday evenings, but I know there's one during the week, God's steadfast love surrounds you. If you feel unworthy or ashamed, you are always welcome. God's steadfast love surrounds you. If you are an elder or a deacon, your work's not unnoticed. God's steadfast love surrounds you. If you have been seduced by the vices of this world, hope is not lost. Because God's steadfast love surrounds you. If you serve on committees or church mice or church staff, your work is needed and appreciated. God's steadfast love surrounds you. It doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. You're welcomed. You're loved. God rejoices at the sight of you. God's steadfast love surrounds each and every one of you. Amen.